Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, you'll see our Bible reading, uh, Exodus chapter 9, page 51. In the, large, uh, in the Black Bible's large print, it's page 60. And so I want to invite you to turn to Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 9. And it's a long reading this evening. I'm going to read until the end of the chapter, and then we'll, we'll read a little bit more when he comes to preach. But let's hear God's Word. Exodus chapter 9, reading from verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never had been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. 
The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses." Do please sit down and take up your Bibles again and turn to Exodus chapter 10. So we've had seven plagues, here are eight and nine. Read chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I'll bring locusts into your country. They shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses, and the houses of all your servants, and all your Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen, from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flock and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts has never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with your Lord your God only to remove this death from me. 
So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. These are God's words to us. Now, one of my favorite kids' books that I get to read, uh, some of you might know, is called The Snail and the Whale. Um, It's about the snail who who wants to see the world, and he, he travels uh, on the tail of the whale, and then he actually ends up saving the whale when it gets beached. But there's this, this moment of the book that's actually always struck me, because it's one of those moments of kids' storytelling that, that takes you to a higher plane. And it says this about the snail. After she's traveled the whole world, and she gazed at the sky, the sea, the land, The waves and the caves and the golden sand, she gazed and gazed, amazed by it all. And she said to the whale, I feel so small. And it resonates deeper. I wonder if you've ever had that moment of gazing at the world around you when you felt small. Just have a think. I remember as a kid on holiday experiencing the most enormous thunderstorms louder than I'd ever heard before, and we were camping at the time, and and the rain crashing down on the canvas above us, and the claps of thunder kind of rolling around our heads like God was rolling a giant barrel over the clouds, and it just gives us that sense of, wow, we're just in awe of the, the power and size of nature. And here in Egypt, the Israelites and the Egyptians and Pharaoh, they were seeing the extraordinary power of nature. They'd already witnessed a river turning to blood. They'd seen thousands and thousands of frogs appearing. They'd seen gnats and flies, extensive disease. And now they witness even more. But the plagues weren't sent by God just to get them to feel small in the face of nature. Now there's, there's much more going on. Now we've seen lots over the last two weeks. If you remember, two weeks ago we saw when God lifted the veil. Uh, uh, last week, uh, we saw, oh, my brain's just gone blank. Um, I'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> sorry, my brain's just gone blank. Um, oh, yeah, when he makes a distinction. There we go. Sorry, if I can't remember my own sermons, it's not much hope for you, is it? Um, but now we're here in these last three. 
We're in the last three. Showing us, he sent, he's, he sent these extraordinary signs uh, in nature to get the people there and to get us to look beyond to the one behind it all. So the book of the snail and the whale, in the end, it just makes the point, even though you're small, you can still achieve great things, which is fine, you know, as far as it goes. It's a bit of a letdown. The plagues, they, they make the point, yes, you are small. So instead of looking at yourself, look at the one above it all. Look at God. And first of all, we're going to see there's a wow, a wow of the unique creator. That's our first thing. A wow of the unique creator. Um, so over the past two weeks, if we can remember them, we've seen six incredible miracles of God. And here in the last three, the Holy Spirit really wants us to emphasize to us the absolute extraordinary power of God we're seeing. First, we've got a hailstorm. Now in the UK, we, we really experience very tiny hail. Uh, it might be a bit of a sting if we get caught in it. It's, it's not nice, but it's passable. But elsewhere in the world, they experience a different kind of hail. Hail that can be as big as your fist. It can dent cars. It can smash windows. And that they happened in, in warmer parts of the world because you need major storms created by the heat. So Egypt wouldn't have been surprised by hail. They would have had big stuff before. But just notice how it's described. 9 verse 18. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. This is mega hail. This is huge lumps of ice crashing into the ground. Hail that can kill man and beast. God can create this kind of storm. It's a power like no other. And then just like that, 9 verse 29, he can take it away again. Moses said to Pharaoh, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll stretch up my hands to the Lord, the thunder will cease, and there'll be no more hail. This is an almighty power. Then come the locusts. Again, locust swarms, although rare, are not new to Egypt. Just a few years ago in the TV show Planet Earth, David Attenborough had video footage of a swarm of over a billion locusts. Billion, a swarm. It was 40 miles wide in places, okay? Imagine that locust from here to Fraserburgh just sweeping across northern Scotland, okay? It'd be mental, wouldn't it? And they eat everything in their path. Not a plant is left. It's munched and then they move on. And yet, what is this swarm like? Let's read from 10:14. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and made all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. It's incredible, isn't it? This isn't just a normal swarm, if that's such a thing. There must have been billions and billions of them to darken the sky. The noise just deafening, the impact massive they cover the whole land of Egypt. God brought that kind of plague about. That is some power. And then the ninth plague, darkness. Now, I just don't get this one. I kind of get the idea of a big swarm. You know, and, and a big, uh, and a big uh, storm and swarm. But here in darkness, 
darkness for three days over a specific part of the world. It wasn't in Goshen, but it was over the rest of Egypt. This is just a miracle, isn't it? I don't know how he did it. I don't, you know, he, he blocked the sun somehow. We just can't understand it by our understanding of nature. But somehow, for three whole days, Egypt had no light. Pitch black, it described. This is power over creation we just can't fathom. These aren't just normal events. These kinds of events are the ones we see in disaster movies, not in nature programs. You know, as humans, we can, we can seed a bit of rain through aeroplanes. We can get rid of a small fly infestation. We can shut the curtains of our house to make it feel dark. But this is different, isn't it? This is the power of a creator. Now, lots of people have, have put forward a kind of chain reaction of natural occurrences to try and explain the plagues. And some of it can make sense. I think, you know, take our first four plagues, the river changes, lots of frogs come out of it, the frogs die, that creates lice, which become gnats and flies, which pass disease onto livestock. I'm not saying that's, that's totally wrong. God is clearly using natural forces when it comes to these plagues. But this account in Exodus does not allow us to just say oh, it was natural and just natural. Why? Well, one, because some of them just aren't natural, okay? You, turning water into blood uh, and, the way, uh, and the darkness and then the way some are affected and others weirdly spared as we saw last week. But also two, because of the scale. As we've just seen, these plagues weren't usual in size. They were so much greater than the Egyptians thought possible. And thirdly, because of timing. Things happen on God's timing, not just in the natural course of nature. The word tomorrow appears, I don't know if you've noticed, so many times in the plagues, because it's all on God's timing. Uh, just look at 9.18, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall. Or 10 verse 4, for if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. It's all in God's hands, the timing. You know, locust swarms of this size don't just appear the next day in the natural course of things. It's miraculous. And you can't just predict a giant hailstorm the day before. Perhaps you know it might rain, but you don't know this kind of detail. You know, weather forecasters have got giant supercomputers to receive thousands of bits of data and model it accurately, and yet they can't even always get it right. No way could Moses if God hadn't been involved. You know, I can't even predict when I'm going to finish my sermon, let alone three-day darkening of the sun. There's got to be someone behind these plagues. There has to be a creator God in charge of it all. 9 verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. None like me in all the earth. And don't these plagues show it? Well, end of verse 9, um, 9 verse 29. Why does God stop the hailstorm? So that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. Here is the unique creator. And we go, wow. As we gaze at the power of these miracles, we're, 
we're not just to see that we're small, but to see how big God is. And big isn't even the right word here, is it? He's not just a bigger version of us. These plagues show us he's completely different to us, on a whole different plane, the unique creator, no one else like him. We're creatures, we're born, we live in this world, we we make stuff from what's in front of us and we, we, we cannot control the weather or any natural phenomenon. We're completely dwarfed by it. That was when I was that kid in the thunderstorm. But God is different. He's over and above it all. He can move clouds at his whim. He can bring light or darkness, grow plants and take them away. Listen to how... A theologian Matthew Barrett goes even further. He says, God is not merely powerful in the sense that he's powerful at one moment and then later on at another moment. As the timelessly eternal God, he's eternally powerful for he is power and his power is everywhere. His enemies cannot escape it no matter where they hide and his friends rejoice that it is their shield in the darkest of valleys. And so if God's power is infinite everywhere and always, then there's no event in history of humankind that escapes his say-so. Isn't that amazing? He is the unique creator, overwhelming in power. And this just leads us to be in absolute awe of God's. All we can say kind of is wow, isn't it? As we see anything impressive in our world, whether it's sporting feats or a technological advance or a beautiful piece of artwork, we, we're amazed. And we're not just by the event, are we? But we're amazed by the person behind it. You know, that's why bi- biographies are such great sellers. We love to know the person who could do such a thing. And so as those Israelites looked on, yes, wow must have appeared on their lips as the swarm of locusts swept through the land, darkening the sun, the awe it must have brought out of their minds and hearts. But, but not just a wow, because it's at the one, the one who could create and do this kind of thing. Just imagine their social media feeds. The video, videos would have been going viral. Everyone would have been talking about it. Why? Because God is amazing. We can't help but praise him. We can't help but go wow. You know, when the snail in that book said he felt so small to the whale, the whale should have responded, well, let's worship the one who made it all. That's why we're here, to worship and praise this kind of gods. And if you're not a Christian here this evening, I hope you can see we're not not worshiping something that's a bit like a genie or a, a god from the Marvel series. He's not like a souped up version of Santa No, he is the awesome, unique creator God. The wow of the unique creator. But wow can't be our only response because these plagues don't allow that. They show us something more and that's because of what they actually do. So secondly, not just wow, but woe, woe under the creator judge. Woe under the creator judge. Here in these plagues, God expresses his power in a very particular way. He expresses it in forces that tear down rather than build up. These three plagues are utterly destructive. The hail, it kills. The plants are destroyed as the giant pieces of ice smash their stems. Any animal and human left outside, likewise. And the Egyptians can see it. They can feel it. 10 verse 7. 
Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? The great nation of Egypt, the mighty power of the ancient world, ruined. Then the locusts, I mean, middle of 10 verse, 7, of 10 verse 15, not a green thing remained. Neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. It is barren, desert-like, anything living stripped bare. And then darkness, light itself extinguished. It's 3D, isn't it? Death, destruction, darkness. What we're seeing is creation unraveling before our eyes. God is decreating. Just think of it compared to Genesis 1. It's working backwards. Animal and man killed by the hail. It's reversing day 6. Plants destroyed by the locust. Reversing day 3. Then the light extinguished. That's day 1. There's something absolutely terrifying about this. God is crushing what he'd brought to life. These plagues, they don't just make us go, wow. They're not just like someone doing something amazing, like painting a beautiful picture, because they're actually awful. They're things of nightmares. He is bringing woe on his world. They should make us feel uneasy. What is God doing? Why this utter destruction against Egypt? Why is he decreating, crushing Egypt with such a strong hand? Well, it's because he's not just the unique creator. He's also the creator judge. This woe, this woe is the right and just response from God himself to the sin of people. Pharaoh his magicians and his people, they have turned their backs on the God of the universe. They've exchanged truth for lies. Having been given the glorious role of being his image bearers, they've dishonored him, they've ignored him, they've violated his laws, they've rebelled against his authority, they've sinned against him and against one another. And that has serious consequences. To reject the creator It's to reject the source of all life and goodness, to to reject the one who brings about beauty and truth, who provides plants and animals for food, who gives air for our lungs and keeps our hearts beating. No wonder it brings disaster. It's, It's like unplugging an electrical item and then being surprised when it stops working and becomes useless. To reject God is saying you want to be unplugged from the one who is life itself. And so God in his judgment turns life backwards. But we don't just reject God as our creator, we're also rejecting him as our Lord, the one who has authority, rule over us. We are rebels against the king of all and so his punishment demonstrates he is God. It is a right display that to go against him is deeply wrong. But more than that, he so hates sin, it is so wicked and evil, he must punish it. And so the good and right punishment for our sin is to take away what we've been given. We know this is right. When someone breaks our society's laws, what's the just response? Well, a fine, you know, takes away the money we have. Prison, though, takes away so much more. Access to jobs, seeing friends, freedom to travel and see the world. And God's just response is to take away. Take away what is good and life-giving. 
Now we're going to see in the 10th plague the ultimate sanction God brings is death. As Paul says, the wages of sin is death. But here in these plagues, we see the woe he rightly brings. He is the creator judge. He's responsible for the morality of our world. As its creator and Lord, he must act against the wicked. And so he decreates as his just response. And we know this actually in our, in our day too. Now, not like it was in Egypt. In Egypt, it was a specific natural disaster in response to a specific sin of the king. But God is still revealing his judgment on our world today. For example, we see destructive forces still in our physical world. As Paul again puts it in Romans, our world is frustrated. There is sickness, sickness in plants, in animals and humans. There are natural disasters that kill, fires blaze, tsunamis destroy, earthquakes flatten. Our climate is becoming more and more fractured and unpredictable. And it's not just in the physical world, we also see it in our moral world. As we reject the God of all, so the moral fabric of our world disintegrates further into chaos, disorder, and sin. We saw this two weeks ago when we were considering God lifting the veil on our gods and prophets. It can just get worse. The the things done in our world, dark and horrific, what is good and true and beautiful unravels before us. Now, that's not to deny that somehow God's common grace is also at work. We know that. He's still showing kindness in it. The world isn't as messed up as it could be. Our crops do grow. Our sun shines. The rain falls. And our sin is not as bad as it could be. We have the fingerprints of God's kindness throughout the world. But we do also have the imprints of his judgment. He is the creator judge. And this, like it was for Pharaoh, should be of warning to us. It points us to his final day of justice, when his full wrath and anger at sin will be revealed, when all people, men and women, boys and girls, will face the creator judge. It's sobering stuff, isn't it? As it says elsewhere in the Bible, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The woe of the creator judge, a serious real warning. But that's not the end of the story. We know that's not the end of the book of Exodus. There's the actual Exodus to come. And we know judgment is not the end of the gospel, nor the whole story of humanity. In fact, even in this passage, this passage of huge destruction, there are wonderful hints that even though God is the world's just judge, There's also something more to him. His heart is set on something different. There's the wow of the unique creator. There's woe under the creator judge. But thirdly, there's wonder at the creator savior. Wonder at the creator savior. God is not just a God of judgment, but a God who saves. And it's back there in the plague of hail. 9 verse 19. Moses telling Pharaoh what to do. Now therefore send Get your livestock and all you have in the field into safe shelter. Here's the wonder. Despite all that we've seen of God as judge, here is the opportunity for refuge, for safety from the coming judgment of God. Not only is it an obvious thing to do, Moses explicitly tells them to do it. Here is mercy, it's rescue, the hail is coming, but you don't have to experience it. 
And this message must have spread like wildfire. Remember, this is plague seven. The Egyptians have seen enough to know Moses isn't messing around. This isn't some massive practical joke. It's real. You can imagine you know, men running down the street to tell their relatives, messengers jumping on horseback to tell the next city. The message got out there. And listen to the response. 9 verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So some people heard that message and they just ignored it. That's happened many times. It's a bit like what happened back in 95. There was a tiny volcanic island, a Montserrat in the Caribbean. It's still there. And scientists knew that the volcano in it was going to blow. The warning signs were all there. The pressure had been building, the land deforming, increase in smoke and steam. So the island was completely evacuated. Warnings were given. People had to pack their bags and go. 11,000 of them. And yet, still, 19 people were killed. They stayed behind. They ignored the warnings. Thought their crops were too precious or the scientists had got it wrong and that was it. Now these Egyptians, they didn't have scientists. They had the word of God himself. The God who had just sent six other plagues. And yet they still ignore it. I don't know, perhaps a smirk wafted across their face with a little laugh. A smug kind of know-it-all look. They might have even repeated those famous words of Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? You know, I'm in charge. I don't bow down to anyone. If I put my livestock and servants outside, I'm going to keep them outside, whatever the Lord says. Perhaps that's the thought that ran through your head just a moment ago when I said God will judge everyone, including you and me. But then there are others, others who heard the message. They heard the warning. And they didn't need to hear it twice. They heard it and obeyed. They rounded up their livestock. They brought their servants in. Yes, it meant a lost uh, a day's work, but this was too big a deal to ignore. They feared the word of the Lord. Now, this isn't just a fear as in being scared. They weren't running around like they just watched a horror movie in absolute fright. No, this is fear as in they took it seriously. They listened and acted on it. Perhaps like if you're given an instruction from the police, we hear it, we act on it, we fear that word. And it makes all the difference, doesn't it? Listening to the warning of God, their livestock and their slaves lived. Ignore it, and they died. God gave the Egyptians time and time again opportunity to listen to him, time to repent. Pharaoh hardened his heart, but others listened and were gloriously saved. Here is the wonder of the Creator Savior. He judges, yes, but his heart is full of love and mercy. So he provides a refuge, not just from hail, but from his eternal justice. And this refuge, this safety from eternal judgment of God, it's possible because of his great love. And in his great love, he sent his Savior. God didn't just warn and provide no way of escape. He sent his Son Jesus Christ, and we know he was sent as savior. Just think about his miracles. They are the opposite of the plagues. Rather than decreating, they recreate. He heals the sick, he calms the storm, he raises the dead. But the true rescue, as many of us know and love, is found on that Friday, on a hill outside Jerusalem, as he died on the cross. 
First, he took the judge, uh, judgment. He bore the punishment, that decreation. Just think he was destroyed. Darkness covered that earth, not for three days, but for three hours. And then he died. For us as people, Christ the infinite one, yet also died, bearing the sin of his people, bearing the punishment we deserved, stepping in for us, taking our place. But then his resurrection turned everything on its head. New creation began, a a new body, new life, never to die again. God's judgment does not have the final word. His salvation does. The creator recreates. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can fear his word, because we can see he's done it all. He's provided the rescue we need, and it's there, etched into history itself. That's the wonder of the creator saviour. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, can I urge you to come to Jesus? To fear his word like those Egyptians did. God's judgment is real, but so is his salvation. In Jesus, there is life now and for eternity. And if you are a Christian tonight, may this help us as we see the the turmoil and chaos around us. Every day, I wonder if we can struggle as we hear the news. We can see the chaos, the pain, the hurt, in a word, the darkness. But may the cross and resurrection so fill our hearts and minds that we might have certain hope. Hope that judgment has been dealt with. Hope that something better is on its way. And do you know what? God's people, the church, we're the nucleus of that hope here together As we trust in Christ, uh, Christ's death for us, God is beginning his new creation. Here is life emerging through the power of his resurrection out of the uh, just judgment of God. And may that bring us comfort in the turmoil of the world. And one day, one day when justice is finished, so we will together experience that full rescue. And we will be lost in praise and wonder, wonder at our creator saviour, To whom be the glory, now and forever. Amen.